צעיר. Just a moment ago, Joel read for us what has to be one of the best known parables that Jesus ever taught, the parable of the Good Samaritan. People who don't know anything about the Bible, who never read the Bible, would know what you meant if you referred to the Good Samaritan. In fact, lots of states and localities have on their law books so-called Good Samaritan laws. And the idea is that if you see someone who's hurt or in trouble, you have a, an obligation to stop and help them like the Good Samaritan did to the man who was beaten on the road. Lots of times when we're studying this very familiar parable, and I'm not going to take time to read it again, but we always emphasize, and I think rightfully so, the Samaritan himself. And we talk about his characteristics, and we talk about what he did, and we suggest we need to imitate the Good Samaritan and as we live our lives. Usually when we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, we briefly comment about the priest and the Levite. And usually we only mention them to express our disdain for these two who could have helped but chose not to help them. But today, I want us to spend more time talking about these two uh, and maybe asking whether or not sometimes we are wrongly like they are. Uh, we'll talk about that as we get into our study. We want to talk about uh, maybe drawing some conclusions from the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Thanks for being here this morning. It's been mentioned several times already in announcements and prayer that we have uh, a, a real blessing to be together and a beautiful day to do it. And we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. We're grateful for our visitors this morning. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance. And we're always open to your questions. If we can help with Bible study, we're especially anxious to do that. Let us know how we can be of assistance to you. But we thank everybody for being here today. When we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, and especially now concentrating on the priest and the Levite, I want you to remember what led up to the telling of this parable. In the verses just before the ones that Joel read for us a moment ago, in chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said, Who is my neighbor? Now, again, I want to emphasize here that this was what initiated the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so this lawyer, it says that he was a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer like we would think of a lawyer. He was a lawyer in that he was an expert in the law of Moses. Uh, he knew what was contained in the Old Testament law. He was very knowledgeable in that. He was qualified. And so uh, he asked about what he should do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So in, in response to his question, what shall I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, how do you read it? What do you know about it? And so he quoted to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and, thy, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. The law is very plain about that in Leviticus chapter 19. And the guy knew it. Jesus said, that's right. 
you're absolutely right. If you do that, then you'll be right with God. This is the right answer. But notice, he willing to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? And so it wasn't a question as to whether he knew what the law of Moses required of him. He knew it. He could even recite it. But the problem was that he didn't want to live it. And he was actually trying to get out of the obligations of the law by saying, well, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself, but, can, but who in the world is my neighbor anyway? And that's what prompted Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan that we read earlier. But my point to you about this guy, and I think about a lot of people, and maybe even like us, is that we know what we're supposed to do. We can recite it. We can talk about it. We can, we can be very uh, involved in conversation about what the Bible has to say. But putting it into real practice in our lives is another question altogether. And so I want to ask you this morning about your religion. Is your, is your religion just a, an interesting intellectual exercise? You know, we can sit around in a, in a discussion group, you know, and we can talk about all these things. Maybe you're very knowledgeable. Perhaps you're one of those people who has sort of a photographic memory. And you can even quote Scripture at length. I've known some people like that. I'm not so, I've, Memorizing Scripture has never been as easy for me, but I've known some people who were just really good at it. But some of those people who were really good at it, it seemed like, weren't very dedicated to putting it into practice in their lives. So what about you and what about me? Is our religion just something we talk about? Is it interesting to talk about biblical concepts and principles or do we actually put it into practice? Does it change our lives? Are we actually living it day to day? Again, I want you to remember the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan would have known the law. They would have known it very well. They were religious people. They were a priest and a Levite. They would have known the law. But the problem was they clearly weren't living it, were they? And so the, although the law told them that they should help that injured man, they chose not to get involved, to do otherwise. And so we need to be careful lest we imitate them. We know the law. We know what we're supposed to be doing. But we choose not to do it. So that's the idea that we want to pursue for just a few minutes in our study this morning. Let me think of, talk to you about some actual applications of this principle. Applications are what's important, right? We can talk about the theme, but let's talk about applying it. What about what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about? The parable of the Good Samaritan is about love and kindness. Uh, certainly the Samaritan showed that, and the priest and the Levite, although, although they knew they should, did not. What about us? I'm going to tell you, as as Christians, as true Christians, as the children of God, we ought to be the most kind and loving people on earth. I believe that's a fair statement. Let me say it again. As Christians, as true Christians, as real believers in the Bible, we ought to be the most kind and loving people on earth. That's, that's what the book that we read, the book that we talk about, the book that we believe, that's what that book tells us to do. For instance, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Pretty plain, isn't it? John chapter 13, beginning verse 34, A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know, that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. That's not a new verse to you, is it? You know that verse. Or how about First John chapter 4, beginning verse 20? 
If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now, I'm convinced that those of us here this morning know those verses. We're familiar with that teaching. We know that the Word of God teaches us to be loving and kind. Now, the question is, have we allowed what we know in the law, or do we allow what we understand, the truth to teach? Have we allowed that to affect our lives, to change us, to make us different people? i got to say, sadly, it's not always true. Sadly, sometimes Christians don't act that way. Sadly, Christians can act hateful and harsh. and They can be hypercritical of one another. Uh, they can gossip. They can viciously attack one another. And I'm convinced that most of us in this assembly this morning have known instances like that. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the way it ought to be. And so, in something like the theme of the parable of the Good Samaritan about being loving and kind, we need to move on from simply knowing that that's what's expected of us. That's sort of the intellectual exercise. We know it. And we can even talk about it. And often we do talk about how important it is to love one another. But to put it into real practice, to really let it change our hearts, uh, to have that true conviction, that's another matter. And that's the challenge for us. It has to go beyond what we know and can talk about to what we actually do and put into practice uh, in our day-to-day lives. What about concern for lost souls? Here's another. I'm just going to now just go. Uh, in this first point, I, I intended to make a direct connection to the parable. But now I want to take just the concept and apply it more broadly. The concept is it can't just be something we talk about. It's got to be something that really changes us. What about concern for lost souls? I want to tell you, here I'm convinced that we all know that, right? That we're supposed to be concerned about the lost people in the world, not just the world at large, but even in particular the lost people right around us in our own sphere of influence, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, people in our community. Certainly there's lost people all over the world. We've got to be concerned about them. we got lost people right at our doorstep. Are we supposed to be concerned about them? Well, sure, we're supposed to be concerned. We all know that, right? In fact, it's likely that we could quote the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The Great Commission. He spoke that directly to his apostles, but the way that it's worded is, indicated that it would be a domino effect. It would keep passing down. Every new generation of disciples would be taught to do the same thing. We're obligated to be sharing the gospel with the lost in this world. Now, that's not new. That's not, there's no news there. We know that. In fact, we talk about it a lot and about the importance of doing it. But do we just talk about it or do we actually get involved? Is it just something that we intellectually discuss or do we put it into practice? In 1 Thessalonians, we read about Paul's commendation to the Christians in that church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7, You were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, 
for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we not, need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. I want to especially emphasize to you, he says, what you have done shows that you were really converted by what you learned. In other words, it wasn't just that they had mentally assented to this notion, but what they were doing actually showed that they had this conviction uh, specifically about sharing the gospel with the lost all around. Uh, so when it comes to this business of being evangelistic, uh, is it just something we sit around in discussion groups and nod our heads and agree? Or is it something that we actually get busy doing? That's what we're talking about here. What's our religion really like? Does it actually change what we do and make us the kind of people God wants us to be? Let me give you another area where I think this is applicable in the matter of moral purity. I'm sure that we all realize just how wicked the world is that we live in. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the evidence of the moral corruption in our present day and time is, is so evident that we really don't even have to argue it. We live in a morally corrupt time. And that moral corruption, of course, is, is constantly placed before us, tempting us. Uh, we know we know. Now, here's the point. We know that the Scripture says that we're supposed to stay away from that stuff, that we're to avoid the wickedness of the world around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, again, when it comes to this matter of moral purity, I'm convinced that we know that and that there's no doubt and that we could discuss that. In fact, if we were to go around the assembly this morning and and ask you to provide verses that would reaffirm the importance of us maintaining moral purity in our I'm sure we could come up with a a long, long list of of well-known passages. I suggested just a couple, but I mean... There's just any number of more passages that we could reference urging us as the people of God to be morally pure. Now, we know it. We know this truth. We can discuss it. But is it just an intellectual exercise for us? Or is it a life-changing conviction? I tell you, it really troubles me that I think too often we see that a lot of people haven't been changed by the truth that they know about moral purity. When... Well, we still have Christians, and in fact, sadly, even an increasing number of Christians who would argue for social drinking of alcohol, for dancing, uh, and again, more and more, not less, more Christians are arguing in favor of dancing. Uh, too many Christians don't apply the principles of godliness that we know in the decisions about, for instance, Uh, what kind of television shows you watch, what kind of movies you attend. Just this past week, I saw where a preacher that I know, have known well, was talking about and actually commending some R-rated movies that he had seen. Uh, Wait a minute. I know that guy knows 
because he and I have talked about it. We know the principles of moral purity that are taught in the Word of God. How could he then go to these R-rated movies, talk about them, even commend them? You know as well as I do that the movies today that are rated R would have been X-rated uh, uh, 20 years ago as these standards, as the standards of men keep on sort of a, a sliding scale. How would we go, how would we do that? And yet I, I it's not just that preacher guy I know, but there's, it's other Christians I know who will, who will attend and commend R-rated movies and nasty television shows. Uh, we see Christians who are not careful to maintain modesty in the way that they dress, uh, their personal conduct, their speech, the kind of words that they use, the places they go, the kind of people that they associate with. Do you know that the Word of God requires moral purity? Well, sure, you know that, right? As we said earlier, you... You, you and I could sit down and, and multiply a list, a long list of verses that urge us as the people of God to be morally pure people. That's not in question. We all know that and we can talk about it. But is it just an intellectual exercise or does it actually change you? Does it change you so that you are more about the kind of movies you go to? Or does this just go over your head? I'm going to talk about maintaining moral purity, but I'm going to go see that R-rated movie. If that's the way it is, then it hasn't changed me. It's not a real conviction in my heart. I can talk about it. I can talk at least. But until it changes me and says, no, I'm not going to go see that movie. No, I'm not going to watch that television show. No, I'm not going to wear that kind of a dress. Until it changes me, it's just an intellectual discussion. Right? Do you see the point? Not too hard, is it? It's not too hard. Well, we could talk, we could expand this list, and, and uh, but the, I hope you understand the argument. What about doing good? Uh, we're supposed to be people who do good. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially they of the household of faith. We're supposed to be people busy doing good. What about prayer? We're supposed to be a people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. We're supposed to be a people that studies our Bible. We know that. We know that. We can talk about it. We often do talk about reading our Bibles, daily Bible reading schedules that we put out and so forth. We know it. Do we do it? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. What about defending the truth against all the false doctrines that are out there? Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Jude, verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Are we doing those kind of things? And I've just quickly here suggested several more things that we could add to our list. But the principle is, and I think it's an area of real concern, the principle is, are we letting the truth that we know change our lives, or are we just talking about it? Is it just an intellectual exercise, or is it a life-changing conviction? Now, you're going to have to answer that for yourself, and I'm going to have to answer that for me. But the next time you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want you to think about this. Before we quickly condemn 
the priest and the Levites. Oh, those guys, what awful guys they were. What awful guys they were. They knew better than that. And they didn't do better. Before you quickly condemn the priest and the Levite, and they certainly were condemnable, there's no doubt about that. But before we quickly cast off on them, let us look at ourselves. Are we doing very similarly? When we know what we're supposed to do, can discuss what we're supposed to do, but then don't do what we're supposed to do? Are we acting like the priest and the Levite too much in our lives? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is heaven. It's not enough to talk about it. You've got to be busy doing it. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why call ye me, Lord, Lord, but do not the things which I say? That's the problem. And that's what we've got to work on. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. Uh, and I'm preaching to myself here as much as anybody else. I want you to know that. We have got to let the truth that we know change our lives. That's what it's all about. If, we're not, if, if that's not happening, then we're just missing it altogether. What's your situation this morning? Are you a child of God already, but you haven't really let the truth change you like you know it should? Then we urge you to make a recommitment. Uh, repent, confess, pray. If we can help you in prayers to God to be right with God as a Christian, but not faithful to Him, we're anxious to do that. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If you're not yet a Christian, you've never obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've never done that, we'd be more than happy. We'd rejoice to be able to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.